This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast, Confessions of a Creative Director, the original podcast made by a creative director for creative directors, for aspiring creative directors, for creatives of all types looking to up their game. This is your podcast, and I am your host, Jaime Cabrera. Welcome. I'm super excited about today's episode because I have none other than the legendary George Tenenbaum. Uh, You may know him from his daily George Co. ad to his satirical blog, uh, at aged to maybe his impression of the holding company CEO. We're going to get into all of that. Uh, so let's jump right in with George Tannenbaum. George Tannenbaum, the man, the myth, the legend. How are you, my friend? Oh, well, mostly myth, I think, this morning. <laughs> uh, it's a little mythy in New York. Uh, yeah, no, I'm good. Thank you for having me, Jaime. Oh, man, I'm so excited to talk to you. I, I you know... In, in all honesty, I don't even know where to, where to start with you, and I, I mean that in the in the best possible way. I mean, you're so prolific. You're writing a, a daily blog. You're writing a uh, writing a daily ad. You're doing great work for your clients. How much coffee do you drink every day to get all this to get it all done? You know, <laughs> I'm in awe of you. Let, let me just take a step back for one second, and and maybe it's because. You know, the people in this business that I always got along with as partners, as friends, as, you know, whether they're planners or account people or creatives, art directors, or even C-suite, the people they got along with were never kind of the B-school people or, you know, the really expensive suits and the golfers. It was always people who were blue collar. Yeah. And, you know, I had a, a partner once who was 20 years older than I, when I was young, I got lucky. I, when I was 35, I had a partner who was 55. So he, I was relatively new to the business at that point. Who isn't at 35, you know, hadn't had a lot of TV experience and he had, you know, 20 years on me and he was English and, you know, lower middle-class English. And his father, he was born right after world war II. His father, uh, owned a sporting goods store. And if you were selling footballs, you know, soccer balls, we'd call them. um, I guess if you were owned a sporting goods store, you'd get the bladder, but you'd you'd sew up the lacing yourself. And and that's probably how they cut down on shipping costs. And, you know, it was more of a craft tradition, let's just say. Like, we weren't doing Ikea then. Somebody would come to your house and build something, or you would. Right, right. And Mike went on this long 
I didn't know where the hell he was going for like 20 minutes about how his father would take rope to make twine, you know, braiding pieces of rope together, putting wax on it, burning the end so it wouldn't fray this long thing. And I'm like, you know, Mike is not a chatty guy. You know, first of all, there was a generation between us Though we were partners, we never really went out to lunch, you know, except to discuss a business thing. It wasn't like we we're pals. I go, what the hell is he doing? And I'm wondering, but I'm listening out of respect, and it was interesting. And he gets to the end of it, and he goes, that's how you do a pitch. You do one thing, then you do the next thing, then you do the next thing, then you check the first thing, then you check the second thing, and then you move on. And I guess, you know, people ask me about the blog or you know, the particularly the little ads that I do, I don't do them quite every day, but often. And I go, you know, all I have to do is write eight funny words a day. And I'm ahead of everybody else because the ads are eight <laughs> words, you know, right. and, and I try to be, you know, we should be able to write a joke a day, right? We're, right. we're funny. We're humans. I mean, if you go to the coffee guy in the morning, you make a little kibitz and, you know, you just, that's your joke of the day. And this is, this is the currency of our business, I think, and because our business is the business of getting noticed in many yeah. in many ways. I mean, you have to get noticed before you can communicate, and um, so that I know it's a lot, and sometimes I don't know where the hell I get the energy from. But to be honest with you, Jaime, I don't have a job. You know, I'm not working. I don't have a regular paycheck. You yeah. know, so I have to. As my old boss, Steve Hayden, used to say, you know, every day we stare down the barrel of a gun, <laughs> you know, and it's like, <laughs> I got to make my money today. I got to get a phone yeah. call. I got to ha I, I have to shake a tree. And, you know, this is not there's no nobility on my part. I'm not even sure there's a work ethic. There's just fucking fear. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> if you were if you were in the Sahara and you knew the oasis was 12 miles away, and somebody said you can never walk 12 miles for the the the, uh, the Sahara in a, in a day. Well, the oasis is 12 miles away. Guess what? I'm walking there. I'm going to get there. And it's the same thing with me. So it's well, it's, but in some ways that makes it even more incredible because you would think that you would be focusing on making those phone calls or shaking that tree as opposed to doing, you know, writing the blog. But but that is that is your work and that's your passion and you sort of have to do that. That's part that's part of the gig. But you know what I'm saying? It's almost more commendable because somebody else might just give into the fear and be like, oh shit, how am I gonna how am I gonna get paid today? As let, opposed let me, to let me you know yeah. I've been doing this. I'm sixty five. So I've been doing this since nineteen eighty. That's a long time. Yeah. The difference between the business in 1980 and the business today is 1980 in New York. I'll just talk in New York, but I'm sure in L.A. And I know enough about, from afar at least, the L.A. ad business to know that between 1980 and 2023, probably 65% of the agencies have been folded into something else or are no more. Great right. names disappeared, whether they're a part of a larger New York conglomerate or or just subsumed by somebody else. And for every in-ocean or in-house thing, it seems like a big institution and you know has kind of withered. And so when I was young in the business, when I was looking for my first job, I remember I took my portfolio to 40 different agencies, 40 wow. credible wow. agencies in New York. Now wow. I think there's five. So, I, and I'm not even being, I'm being a little sarcastic. 
but not a whole lot of sarcastic. It's it's not Sarah Silverman sarcasm. It's Joe Biden sarcasm. So um, <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not high. It's not turned to eleven. But if I were going to rely on phone calls, I'd be done by Tuesday at ten or Monday at ten, making all yeah. my calls. And then if I call you, if I'm looking for a job, if I'm a junior looking for a job, and somehow I. I meet you on a bus or something, and we go, oh, yeah, send me your book, you say. And he sends you your book, and you go, yeah, listen, uh, uh, Jennifer, it's really terrific. I love you. You know, there's nothing right no now, but stay in touch. Jennifer can't call you for six or eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> right? Otherwise, she's a stalker. Right. Um, and, and, you know, even if you liked her, she goes down, down in the pile. So, you know, it, it becomes... What I took as my brief when I knew I was going to be looking for a job because I knew uh, Ogilvy was dying um, was how there's only five or ten places, even in New York, that you can call. And then you, you have to have an eight-week, a six- to eight-week kind of gap between I called Diane at YNR on October 1st, I really can't call her again till November 15th. And even then, I might not be able to call her till January 4th because Thanksgiving and then Christmas and shit's happening. So right. I don't get that. So I said to myself, I stole a page from the direct marketing annals. How do I create a touch strategy for myself? Because mm. the way I imagined the, you know, the, the recruiters who are younger than my daughter's, is they have 75 tabs open. And, you know, when I was doing more hiring people, I'm old school, whether literally or figuratively, I kept an index card of mid-level writers who can handle financial, you know, uh, great fragrance people, so on and so forth. The writers, art directors, different levels. And I, and I had, like, my top three for everything I might be looking for. Yeah. And so when I needed somebody, I knew where to go. I think that still happens in, in, uh, in some way, shape, or form digitally. But what happens is there's so many people looking for jobs now. Even if you're in the top, they might not need someone for six or eight weeks, and three people might come in front of you during that time. Just just the recency bias. They saw them more recently, so they're up right. at the top of the list. I mean, that's, right. that'd be the same thing with dating. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, I really I really like Jennifer, but God, that Patricia, did you see what she wore today? Um, you know, she's going to move up. I mean, I'm sorry if that's gendered. I didn't, I didn't mean to hear any, anything. It's just, it's just the metaphor. So, to me, it was, how do you stay top of mind without being a stalker? Yeah. And that becomes, and, and I'm a very, uh, I know I don't come across this way, and this phone call, or this uh, Zoom, or this podcast belies it but i'm a very shy person i don't like making phone calls even even you and i you had a hard time connecting with me because i'm a pain in the ass i i get <laughs> i'm really shy i get very intimidated really? by phone. yeah so i said to myself well how can i i can't take drugs to overcome the shyness at the age of 65 i'm not growing out of it i can hide it i know how to hide it now Right. But how do I stay top of mind in a really competitive field when I have a few strikes against me? I'm old. I'm expensive. Um, how do I stay top of mind amid the cool kids and, and all that? And so 
you know, that's when I looked around. And I said, well, shit, you know, at the time, LinkedIn maybe had 6,000, you know, uh, linkies, whatever the heck you call them. I said, that's not LinkedIn. That's a media channel. Yeah. And, you know, so I started looking at the world that way and said, you know, uh, so I devised these little four inch by three inch ads. I got them in my feed. You know, it was easy to, I mean, I don't know Photoshop or, or Quark or whatever they call it, InDesign, but I figured out how to set, I figured out how to imitate Amirati in 1984 in terms of future extra bowl condense. That's all I could do. I don't even know how to drop things out, to be honest, to knock out type. All I could do is put type on a page and enter it. it. Um, but in a world of, uh, what do they say? Uh, in a world of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Well, yeah. you know, in social media, it's the world of 12-point type. So the 72-point <laughs> type uh, is king. So I just said, <laughs> well, everybody's sm- – I mean, I'm not wrong, am I? No. You see ads for major fucking brands, excuse me, drop out sans serif nine-point type. I'm like, I can't read this. So, uh, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you look at the Wall Street Journal. I have I, – I do work for a tech company, and we have – you know, 10 times a year, we have a front page ad. They call it a jewel box on the Wall Street Journal. It's basically the size of a, of a CD box, an old CD box, if you know what that is. And I said, well, the biggest type on the Wall Street Journal, the front page, when they have a headline, is 24 point. I'm going to make my, my type 48 point. It's just it's just simple. If, if we were picking teams for kickball, you'd pick the guy who was 7'4", not the guy who was 4'7". I mean, it's just <laughs> the way it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love that i mean but that's advertising 101 isn't it yeah get yeah. noticed yeah so so this just became a function of you you know trying to get uh stay top of mind stay relevant and and practice your your craft so what and, you know, and how, one more thing yeah uh which i think is important um and you can you can push me on this if you want i know we say it in pitches or we say it, you know, when we're away from either with the client or away from the client, but we say it. It's good for a brand to have an enemy. You know, it's good for Pepsi to have Coke. It's good for Burger King to have McDonald's. Well, guess what? It's good for me to have the holding companies because that's – I might not really be able to compete with a holding company. But if I say I'm better than a holding company, it takes me out of the league of all the other people looking for jobs. It's good to have an enemy. Yeah. So it's good for your – it's good for any damage the holding companies have done to your self-esteem or your bank book. Uh, and, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I'm angry. So yeah. <laughs> why, why not? <laughs> yeah. So – so I, I want to get I want to get into it with you here, but but I, I want you to if somebody w- was asking, how would you describe what you do in terms of, of of this work? Right? Would you say? And I wrote this down, and it sounds silly saying it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Are you are you a, you know an activist of some sort? And that's that's sort of you know raging against the the machine and trying to. Would you describe yourself that way? Because in some ways, I see that. Are you a sports fan? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm a sports fan. I've been a, I grew up in New York. Mickey Mantle was God. Whitey Ford, Mickey Mantle, Elson Howard, Yogi Berra. I look at the sports section today. I don't even know how to read it. There's a whole set of statistics that have complicated 
all sports, baseball, basketball, football, uh, you know, like his drop back points, his points going left. It's like, oh, my God, the point of the game is to hit the ball and right. or to put the ball in the hoop. And it just seems like, I mean, it's it's almost and I'm not being critical, but it's almost to your to your question. How do you do what you do? Like, what do you mean? You just do it. I mean, when you when you used to sit with a partner, you would fill a wall with billboard headlines and you know they're going to pick three but you had 40 and probably 12 of them are good so you know i i don't i love advertising and i think there's a big difference between good advertising and bad advertising but i also don't think good advertising is like finding el dorado i don't think it's a mythical city i think rather than talking about it we go out and do it and the best way to do good advertising is to do good advertising. And that's what I believe in. I, you know, I have a daughter who's 31 and she just started a new job and she was telling me about it. And I said, you know, Microsoft used to do this thing where they would classify their workers. At least I heard this. I don't know if it's true because I never worked at Microsoft where okay. they would classify their workers as finders, minders or grinders. So we all know the grinders. Yep. You know, they're the people now who are probably doing 300 banner resizes in a week. The minders are the people standing behind the art director's chair saying, move this over a pixel. And right. the finders are the people who leave at 515 in black cars. Um, you know, they, they get the new business. But finder, right. minder, grinder. And, okay, that was cynical, but you get what I mean. Yeah. But successful people are all three. They're finders, minder. The most successful people are all three. You know, if you you work for a really good agency leader, whether it's a creative or an account person, that person grinds. That person is up looking at that deck, making it better, even looking at, God forbid, your copy um, or casting and maybe being a pain in the ass, but probably not just for ego gratification. And the industry has forgotten that... 98% of all problems that we, that the advertising industry can control can be solved with a really good ad. I mean, and I, I just happen to believe that. I mean, I'm not going to solve Elon Musk's problems or, you know, uh, what's her name, Marjorie Taylor Greene's marketing problems with one oh ad. Right. But, but, you know, you could argue, because you probably remember, especially since you have, you know, at least nine of your toes in the auto business, people saying, well, Elon Musk launched a brand without any advertising. And, yeah, he did. And it worked until he fucked up. And then he doesn't yeah. have a brand. Right. And then he, now he's screwed. Right. Because his brand stands for disaster, not for great technology, because he never established that. Right. And... I think the ad industry has gotten lost on the complicatedness of what we do. Uh, I mean, I've been around for a long time. I couldn't tell you what a content strategist does. I, I, mean, I, I really don't know. I'm, I'm not being mean. I don't know. I mean, oh, what man. do they do that you don't know how to do? Right. You know, oh. like I, I mean, I don't, I don't get half. You're putting me in, you're putting me in a tough spot here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Uh, so, 
Okay, so how do we? So how, you know, it's it's broken. It's broken. I think we can agree. How do we? How do we fix it? How do we get back? Is it about getting back to the basics, or what? What do you I, think? How do we do this? I wrote a post maybe five years ago, and one of my close friends is uh, a guy called Rob Schwartz, who's CEO of uh, TBWA Shiat Group in New York, and he and I have grown close over the last five years because I think we're both. We're both creatives. We're both writers. We're both men of a certain age, <laughs> and we we both believe in showing, not telling. And I wrote a thing uh, on the blog called, you know, let's make back to basics the next shiny object. And you know, as I hope I communicated when I was talking about kind of the outreach or the ads that I do, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think. You know, back to basics is okay. Let me let me back up a little bit. I'm sorry, my answers are never short. No, it's good. So, when I was before I went back to Ogilvy in 2014, I spent five years at RGA because I really wanted, as I said about RGA, I was 55 already, let's say, and I wanted to euthanize myself. Uh, I wanted to make myself younger. Yeah. So I said, <laughs> what <laughs> what better place than RGA? You know, digital agency of the century or nanosecond, whichever comes first. Um, And what I found there was, you know, a lot of clients, especially digital agencies, especially, you know, 2009, 2008, that that kind of time frame, were going to digital agencies, not so much for marketing, but to build a digital infrastructure. And a lot of clients were coming to agencies like RJ, Razorfish, whatever they were called, uh, more as like technology partners than communications partners. You know, so, the, so that's when you started seeing like the rise of CX, UX, or IX, whatever we called it. And I would get at RGA, my job was to get all the people who needed communications. Like I was still in the communications business, that backwater. And so I would have a lot of clients, senior clients, who really didn't understand what brands were and what communications were. I mean, this is my job, and I have to explain it quickly. I'll say mnemonically because they have to understand it, and they have to be able to give me a nod, or I'm not leaving. And then when I show them something, they have to be able to link it back to the framework that I gave them. Okay. So, I, so I came up with something I call the three Ds, which okay. you can expand to the four Ds if you want to. But I, I keep it the three Ds. Basically, I believe... The advertising side of the advertising business, whether it's digital, social, television, does three things. We define a brand. Yep. We we demonstrate what a brand does, and we disseminate the brand, the the messaging of the brand. Which the dissemination would be part. Here's how how we do what we do, and here's what we do. And then the yep. fourth could be, especially in an era of influencers, disciples. We create disciples. So okay. define, demonstrate, um, disseminate, and create disciples. Four Gs. Easy to understand. I, I don't know about you, honey. I, I don't know what any brand does anymore. I don't know the difference between this shoe and that shoe, between you know anything I buy, you know, phone systems, you know, a, a telco, anything. I don't. Everybody does exactly the same thing and uses the same words to describe it. I mean, if you watch TV at night, 
probably a third of the ads are for um, cable provider, and they all go, oh, bundle, bundle and save. Like, <laughs> I don't really know what you're offering. You know, you're not really telling me anything in a distinguishing way. Right. Um, you know, it's a little bit like, I uh, just, uh, I think this might be tomorrow's post. Um, my wife and I um, just took a couple of, uh, two weeks in uh, Costa Rica. And, um, you know, you think about advertising, uh, I'm from the East Coast, so we go more to the Caribbean than Mexico and even Costa Rica. Um, but you think about the advertising for all the islands, whether it's, you know, Aruba, Jamaica, uh, Dominican Republic, whatever the heck it is, all those millions of islands and the Antilles and the Lesser Antilles and the Greater Antilles. And they all do the same thing. They all have the, the incredibly blue water, the incredibly blue sky, the white sandy beach, and the woman in the bikini running with her husband. How do I choose? Yeah. I mean, so, so I'm down to choosing on price. We know, you and I both know choosing on price is no good. Right. It, it, it's not lasting. It's not a lasting benefit. And, and so I find that kind of model, whether you're looking at a new car, I don't know the difference between a BMW and a Honda. You know, uh, I know there are differences. I don't think anyone in advertising anymore explains what they are. Um, you know, the most people, I guess, certainly most people of my age, if, if you said BMW, you'd say ultimate driving machine, which is probably a right. line they haven't used in 35 years. And, and they don't do very much in their advertising to explain it. If they, if, if they do kind of use it, it's a, it's a tack on. Um, so I, I believe the, the, the first D, which is, to my mind, the hardest, the defining, like what in six words do you do differently? What do you hang your hat on? You know, as a creative person, going back to your original question, I had to figure out what my first D was. Like, what do I do differently? Because there's a lot of people who make less money than I do, who are better looking than I am, who are no. not as contentious as I am, and are easier to deal with than I am. So what do I do differently that makes me worth the money, right? We have to do that. We're marketing ourselves. And then demonstration, it's like, how do you show it? So if you ask me nicely, um, I have a list. Literally, I call it my magic list. It's 35 pages long, and it's of URLs that I've collected through the years of great websites that take complicated information and explain it really well. I happen to think journalism is doing this really well now. You know, the Times, the Wall Street Journal, I don't read the L.A. paper, but the Washington Post, the Economist, they all have data visualization uh, people. And the, the Journal did this thing after the earthquake in Turkey slash Syria about tectonic plates and, you know, how they slide under one another and they do this and this causes that. And it's like, gee whiz, that's demonstration. So if I were selling how my burritos are made versus how the chain burritos are made, you know, I'd probably say this is the difference between a grade A chicken and a, and a uh, I don't know, somebody down the street's chicken. Or I'd say this is how, do you know how much chicken Chipotle yeah. puts in as opposed to, you know, the local guy? I would want to know if I'm selling. Uh, well, I mean, this is my livelihood. Uh, I, I, I got to get you to come to my place not somebody else's place, and their place is probably more convenient. 
And so, if I'm involved, let, it's probably cooler. But let, so let me ask you a question. So then, is it a problem? It, it, does it come down to the the products themselves not being different enough that then now you have to focus on just the the brand aspect of it and and kind of creating this sort of mythical you know I what i mean like is it is it a product problem, problem or is it i i think it's twofold i i think saying it's a product problem is a cop-out i think okay. people have been saying there's no difference between products since cave people made the first wheel and i i, I really do you know i and i think you could say it I think you could picture yourself, hear yourself saying it in virtually any time frame you're familiar with. Um, you know, when machines came in and we started mass producing um, shirts, yeah, they're all the same. They're made by machines. They're all made by the same machines. And I think, I think it's easier not to do the digging. I, you know, I think in the from an industry from a macro industry POV. As a copywriter, I grew up in an era pre-planner. So if I wanted to do a good ad, I had to find something that was interesting. Yeah. You know, now it's kind of like, well, there's nothing in the planner's brief, so there, mu there must be a parody product. But, you know, I usually kind of, I mean, I did something for IBM many years ago. I, I found out that it was in the brief that the process, processing speed on, by this one chip or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to get the details wrong. That's all right. But, but the processing speed was like four one-hundredths of a second faster per operation. Four one-hundredths of a second. So I, I don't know how fast four one-hundredths of a second is. So I, I typed in you know Google, how fast is the blink of an eye? And I found out four one-hundredths of a second is about the blink of an eye. Now, okay, now all of a sudden I have something interesting to talk about. Yeah. You know, and it's, but I don't think, so I think there's a structural problem that we're relying on other people to do our own research for us, and we're just supposed to be ah. prettifiers, right? You're just supposed to make things look yeah. nice, and I'm supposed to be a wordsmith, which I hate, because I'm not a wordsmith. I care about how words sound, but I care much more about the information they uh what what I'm communicating. That's number one. Then number two, and here's where I get thumb in the eye of the holding companies. You know, at most holding companies, availability is the capability. If the team down the hall isn't busy and you've got something on, uh, you know, the Higgs boson neutron um, that you have to get out by Tuesday, well, they're not busy. We'll let those two do it. Well, they know nothing about <laughs> physics. <laughs> Whereas in the old days, you know, you would have spent time with the engineers, you would have gone to the factory, you would have, God forbid, you read a book about physics, right, if you're working on the Higgs boson. But now it's like, you know, we slip from 20 minute increments of time to 20 minute increments of time. We never really know our products. Um, and so we can't really explain the differences. Uh, because yeah. so I don't know if I should say this. You can just wave your hands and say no, because I know you do a lot of work um, with cars. But, you know, when I worked on Mercedes many years ago, you know, they had something called um, brake assist. It was the early days yeah. of uh, ABS braking. 
And uh, this is back in the 90s. It's the early yeah. days of ABA, ABS breaking. And so it says, oh, you know, unlike other ABS, because Mercedes was afraid of Hyundai because they could do it for a third of the price. Unlike other, um, you can edit that out if you need to. Um, <laughs> unlike other ABS, Mercedes is brake assist. Well, I don't know what brake assist is, but okay. I mean, it'd be really easy for me to do a cut and paste there from the brief. Yeah, and then I find out that brake assist is a you know a computer brain, a chip, and when it senses you know force on the brake pedal because you're slamming the brake, which is a not a it's a reflex, it's not a thought when you slam the brake. The sensor, the chip, senses that and takes over the braking for you and can pump the brake sixty times in a second, which yeah. you and I can't do. Well, that to me gives you a reason to spend twenty. A reason, not not maybe all you need, but a reason to spend $30,000 more on a Mercedes. Yeah. But if you don't tell me, I don't know. Because I know the sales guy in the cheap suit doesn't know it. Yeah. You know, so it's partly a question of, like, how much do you love, how much do you love what you're working on? You know, how much do you, how much do you want to invest how much in, you, in learning it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how much, because otherwise, you know, again, back to autos, I was working on Mercedes when uh, they went from conventional headlamps to xenon. I didn't know what a xenon headlamp was. I don't even, I didn't even have a driver's license at the time, to be honest with you. And, <laughs> but, you know, walking home at night, you start seeing the yellow light that I grew up with, and then you start seeing the white blue light. Yeah. And you start going, oh, now I have to figure out a way to explain that as an advantage. Right. And, you know, it's, it's okay, well, but if you just say xenon lights, nobody knows what the hell it is. Right. Uh, you know, our job is... is so if I'm, hearing you, if I'm hearing you correctly, right, you've kind of described two, 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 right off the bat, two problems, right? That... We're not doing the work of trying to find out what's interesting about the product or the benefit, right. or right. So that that's one thing. We're we're would you? I, I would venture to say we're being lazy about that. And well, then two I, I think, because yeah. of the and then two because of the way that you know the holding companies are are set up, right? Where it's it's very driven by the bottom line. We're assigning people that may or may not know anything about the product, may not have any interest in the product, but they're available. And so right off the, the bat, those thing. are two problems. What, yeah. Okay. The, the third thing, because I, I, I think this is, um, let's call it the triad of mediocrity. Uh, since I need to brand everything. <laughs> trademark. You, need to, you need to trademark the triad yeah. of mediocrity. <laughs> See, I, I should that. be in advertising. Um, I the love that. Leg, the third leg um, is that the average CMO last 18 months, she probably doesn't know the difference. You know, she right. probably doesn't know the difference. So, you know, I, I spent a lot of my career in the tech world. I'm not being yeah. mean. But the smartest people at tech companies are technologists. They're not marketing people. The marketing person's job is to say to the technologist, so why would I want to buy this, not this? Not just get a, a list of stats about, I don't know, gigs and sure. you know bits and bytes and stuff like that. What does that mean? What, is, what does that mean? 
And, you know, marketing people or account people or creative people or planners, somebody used to dig in and figure out what it means and then right. say, why, why would that be important to... To the you average know. consumer, or to you yeah, know. yeah, yeah, like yeah, ex- ex- exactly. Now there might be reasons that go beyond uh, logic. There might be emotional things. Soup is good food. It's cold. Give the kids something warm. You know right. that. I mean, maybe that's not proprietary to Campbell's, but they probably had eighty-five percent share of the soup market, so they're selling the category. But you know, if you and I were working on Lipton soup, you know, we'd have to find something different other than just warmth, because Campbell's owns that, about why Lipton, that comes out of a pouch, not a can, is better. Yeah, And that's our job. Otherwise, we're going to lose because Lipton has $10 for every one, uh, Campbell's has $10 for every one you and I have. So, uh, you know, I do think you, you know, and, and, and that's whether it's emotionally, there's um, emotional attributes that, that separate a product or, or, or uh, you know, more fact-based. But, you know, I'm looking at you. I don't know you, but you've got three or four guitars behind you. There's three or four thousand you could have chosen. Right. I mean, you you probably have a Rickenbacker or a Les Paul. I don't know anything about guitars except to know Rickenbacker, Les Paul, and I'm sure there's one or two others. And they are imbued with either the glow of Charlie Christian playing one or whoever, you know, is the exemplar, Django sure. Reinhardt or, or something – and that's that's enough for you. And there was probably you went you went to the guitar shop to buy it. First of all, you probably have friends who are musicians. Oh well, does this then? They you're probably getting sure. a whole lot of factoids. You know, yeah. you, you might have had the glow of seeing your favorite musician playing it, and that's a lot. But you probably want a little persuasion along the way. Maybe the person at the guitar store said, "Oh well, this does this and this does that," and you're like, "Okay, I'm sold." Beyond cool. When somebody yells at me for buying an $800 guitar and we can't afford it, you say, oh, but it has this. You know? Right. <laughs> you know, so you kind of win. That's what we're supposed to be doing. I don't, so, like, I don't so, see any other way. Right. So then where does – so, again, finding, you know, finding what's interesting about the product, right? Finding some insight or finding some way to, to look at the benefit, you know, in a, in an emotional way or whatever that might yeah. be. Or just the right people working sexy. on it. Okay. At, at, at the very, at the most yeah. kind of animal Makes level. Sense. Right. How do I make it sexy? Right. But the, so then how does the, so then where do we, where does like the brand in terms of, and I, and, and I think, I think I know what you're going to say here, but in terms of like the brand ethos, right? And what the brand stands for and what the brand means, right? How, how, how does that factor in? Because it can't just be as simple as telling people what the, what the amazing benefit is and doing it in a very sexy way, right? There has to be, or, or, or is, or is it that simple? Well, I mean, I, I, it's a hard question to answer. I mean, I, I would say at many levels, let's say two of the great a- advertising examples of the last 
65 years. Yeah. Let me let my dog Apple. in because he, he wants oh, sure, to hear sure, this. Sure. Sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Come on, buddy. All right. Uh, Apple. Apple and Volkswagen. If you read Volkswagen copy, and if there's anyone listening to this who's a young creative, I suggest buying the book, Remember Those Great Volkswagen Ads. You can find it on LinkedIn or abebooks.com. Um, which is used books, uh, aggregator of used books, and read the body copy. There's not a single adjective in any of the body copy. Hmm. It's We get 25 miles to the gallon. We use pints of oil instead of quarts. We don't have a radiator because we're air-cooled. And all those little bits added up to, I'm smart, and that's an emotional connection. And this became a car... Mm -hmm for people who didn't like tail fins and planned obsolescence because there were things about that too. It became a car for smart people. I very much think Apple does the same thing. They rarely do, for every ad they do with black and white portraits of Muhammad Ali and Gandhi and, and Albert Einstein and telling you to think different, they do many, many more showing you the uses of the technology and the difference of the technology. As a matter of fact, they're which I think is some of the best work I've seen in the last 10 years, their um, long-form campaign, which I suppose runs in social. I don't know oh, where yeah. I would, I guess, you, you the, said uh, You said that to me, and, and that was that was, that was was great. The, uh, the underdogs. The underdogs, yeah, that was great. Yeah. If you watch to the end, and you watch, you literally watch the credits, they put each of their machines in the credits. Yeah, I saw and, that. And, and in a really clever way. And they're just—they're just saying our products are great. They're not saying you'll feel smart with the new sixty-five hundred dollar Apple. They're just saying, you know, five times the processing power means you can run fourteen applications at once. I mean, you look on their website; it's all charts and graphs with clever lines. But they're talking about the product. They're not saying. You'll look ten pounds younger and feel fifteen ten pounds lighter and feel fifteen years younger. You know they're saying no. You're, you're well. You're smart and creative. You've got this machine. So right. you know. I, but they're I, doing I, it. They're doing it with the with the aesthetics. They're doing it with. Of course, of right. course. But but you know I think this kind of dichotomy between brand and product is. I mean most products are brands and most brands are products. I mean the things that. I mean, I can go back to the guitars behind you, you know. Well, let's do this. Why don't we, you know, since we were talking about 
Tesla earlier, right? That could be an interesting thing to riff yeah. on. Yeah. How? What? What would? What would you do there? What? What could we do there? I mean, you know that that brand is so tarnished now, but and it's isn't that crazy that it became because I was I, and, and I still you know I still I still when I see it I still you know I, I like it but it definitely took a big hit when when Elon just started going off the rails right and and then you start right. questioning like well if this is the way he thinks about this what what is Humanity. he what is he doing with the car you know and what you know what I mean like you start you start questioning that kind of stuff um but yeah. what, what yeah if you had I if mean, you had the assignment you know rebuild it now or when they launched yeah now you know, I, I, I think you'd have to try to find a way to remove the car, remove him from the brand. Yeah. And, and start, you know, if you go back, okay, I'm, like I keep saying, I'm old. Um, when Perrier broke into kind of, I won't say the mainstream, but the, the upper middle class mainstream and say, the late 80s, early 90s. They did a campaign. Hal Reine actually did the... Didn't establish the campaign. He just brought it to its apogee. But a small agency called in New York called um, Waring La Rosa did the first campaign. And it was, a, it was Earth's first soft drink. And, you know, right away... <laughs> You've got That's a lot cool. going on in that line, yeah. In terms of uh, goodness, purity, right? Uh, a higher order of humanity, maybe customer care, so on and so forth. You know, uh, part of me, you know, going back to Volkswagen or even the Ford Model T, these were always meant to be people's cars. You know, Volkswagen is a people's car. Uh, Ford was, you know, the car that put America on the road. Right. I mean, part of me would wonder, I mean, it costs money. Elon never wanted to spend money. Uh, it costs money to build a brand. <clears throat> he doesn't have a brand. Uh, but part of me would say the first car built for Earth. Uh, you know, just off, I'm riffing, obviously. And, sure. And, and that could suck. But that ain't a bad position. You know, the Earth's car. And maybe you have to go into how we find lithium better than they find lithium. And, mm. you know, our construction of the batteries uses less rare earth metals. I mean, I don't know anything about these cars. Sure. But, um, you know, I think, I mean, he's he has the problem of himself. And then he has the problem that... That... Um, any brand has when they create a small niche for themselves, they're going to be eaten by Coke, Pepsi, McDonald's, or, or Verizon. <laughs> Let's right. say so. Sooner or later, you know, Toyota's going to have going to be all EV, and Honda's going yeah. to be all EV, and the, and the Koreans going to be all EV, and the Americans going to be all EV, and he's going to lose his charm. Let's say, yeah, and you know. So maybe well, he could always he, claim. I mean, he, you know, in all fairness, I mean, he he sort of 
really was the first breakthrough, right? So there's something you could potentially do with that, right? It's the the originator. He he sort of busted open the the category, right? Or, or yes, Tesla my did. one uh, distinction would be if you think about two great brands, and I'm sorry to be picky on Apple. Apple, if you had to reduce everything they do to five or six words, I'm not counting, you know, tools for creative people or tools to make you more creative. Nike, everyone's an athlete, to, you know, shoes for athletes. Right. Tesla never brought it up that level. Hmm. Tesla never brought it up to mobility for people who care. Right. Yeah. I, in my right. opinion. So, you know, so... I mean, I know, you know, enough about automobiles because I like cars. You know, the Ionic gets a good review. The, what is it? The other one, Kona. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Gets, I mean, you know, gets a really good review. So all of a sudden, all the kind of technological advantages that Tesla had, and maybe he still has them because he's got more charging stations, but that's going to dissipate. So, you know, over time. And, you know, it's important to stay on top of technology and to stay leading, but you also have to say that there's an ethos of leading that's as important as the as as the uh, kind of bullet points of leading. And, you know, what what's the philosophy that aligns everything, that everything you do is aligned around? And that, to me you know, is, is the bigger job. I mean, Apple, in my opinion, always comes out with a new technology. Yeah. But it's like they have a deck of cards and this year they're bringing out, you know, the eight of diamonds of technology. Next year it'll be the nine of hearts. And, you know, it's, it's a, it's a fan of new things because they're, their goal is not to rest on their laurels. Their goal is to keep building tools to make you more creative. Let's say. Are you are you a fan of? Do you know uh, Simon Sinek? I I know who. I mean, I've never read him or okay Seth he, Godin. I know I see him, of course, on LinkedIn. So he's, he's got a great. You know, he's got a great thing about you know the people don't buy what you do they they buy why you do it so he has a great example of apple right so he right he 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 says that apple exists as a company to challenge the status quo right and that's why you would feel comfortable buying a computer from them as much as potentially probably soon buying a car for them because right. you know why they why they exist they exist to, right. to challenge the status quo and right. they just so happen to make computers and and phones and now potentially cars right whereas you would probably never buy a car from hewlett-packard or from dell right because they don't have that same which 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 kind of brings us back to the power of 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 the brand i guess you know about 30 years ago i had this idea to start an ad agency and the idea started i'm in i'm in i'm in uh, I'll be employee number, with, number two. Uh, okay. The idea started with me. The first step of the idea is to raise $10 million. Okay. <laughs> and go to Richard Branson uh-huh. and say, Richard, I want to open a, up an ad agency called Virgin Advertising. And it's going to yeah. be advertising that's not like any advertising you see. We're not going to bill like you see. We're not going to pitch like you see. We're not going to 
We're not going to think like everybody else. We're going to be different. We're going to be as different in, in advertising agencies as Virgin Air or Virgin whatever. I mean, right. their brand is kind of tumbled. But you get what I'm saying. Sure. It's, it's like we're not going to be like the status quo. And going back to where I started, I mean, that's what I tried to do with George Co. Everything that I hated about agencies that I thought was 12 weeks to scope an assignment, two days to do it, um, <laughs> you know, like I don't want to do, you know, so I'm going to figure out a way to do it. What I regard as better um, okay. because I think the status quo sucks. Um you know, the same way, God forbid, you and I had been in Vietnam, we'd probably have figured out a better way to fight that war than, you know, as if it was a battlefield in Europe in 1944. Um, that wasn't going to work. Um, but, you know, it's we. that's what that's what people like upsetting the status quo. I mean, that's yeah. kind of what Trump did. I hate to say it. I'm not a fan, but yeah, it is what he did. He looked and he said, this isn't working for people. People are getting poorer, not richer. People are feeling unheard. They're feeling ripped off. You know, I'm, I'm an evil man and I can tap into that for my own purposes. But um, he did upset the status quo. As opposed right. to, I'm with her. Right. So in addition to some of those things that we've talked about, right, which again... Uh, we're we're not doing the work of digging in to find what's interesting, right? Uh, about the the products or the service or whatever it is that we're doing, finding the right people, the triad of mediocrity. What what else? What else is is broken? And what else could we look take a a, a, a deeper look at and try to try to address? Well, you know, um, and I've been very vocal about this. Um, I'm not a big fan of the pay to play awards industry. Um, you know, I don't know. It, it's hard for me to literally hard for me to stomach awards being given for work that's never really run. And right. that to me is at its very core, the opposite of what our business is supposed to be about, which is sales and I, I know this is an odd word for a podcast on advertising, but integrity. We're supposed to tell the truth. Yep. You know, we, we might bury some on the other hands, but we're supposed to tell the truth. And seeing this fascination with work, and and you can just see it, you know, when, when yeah, I mean, you can kind of see the news cycle of ad advertising. Super Bowl, then we're going to, as Jeff Eaker wrote about this morning, I'm right. a judge on this. I'm a judge on that. And then, then it, who's going to can? And then the parties at can. And then the network of the year at can. The agency of the year and the direct mail piece of the year. And then you know. And then it'll be, age. You know. Then it'll be a whole new set. And then we'll start all over again. It's not about the brands we built. It's not about you know the the, the people we've made the brands we've made important, integral, and famous. And you know. So I. I care about good work, but I'm not sure. I, I don't think that good work and awards are synonymous anymore. And, you know, I think one way of maybe underscoring that, if this isn't too, uh, I make weird connections sometimes, 
But, you know, if you go to Agency Spy and you look at some of the work that, you know, people, agency presumably, you know, bang the drum about, you know, well, this sucks. Like, (laughs) uh, do do you, are these your standards? Because, like, these standards, your standards suck. Because this is not good. I mean, from a production point of view, an interest point of view, a truth point of view, a veracity point of view, did it really run? I'm like looking at this stuff, and I, I do it almost every day, and I'm like, I'm baffled by it. Because it's like, did somebody really think this was good? Did somebody really think, I'm looking at, I saw something the other day. Uh, While you're looking somebody, for that, I think I, I think Jeff Jeff on that, on that uh, blog that you just described, call it a, a uh, I think he said a bag full of egg farts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, the, was, the, yeah. The, the Super Bowl ads. <laughs> yeah, but I, I'm like, but I'm not even talking about Super Bowl ads. I'm talking about sure. things very much smaller sure. than that. And I'm like, gee whiz, you thought this was good enough to brag on. You know, it's like somewhere along the way, and I don't know if you've noticed this, I, I, I think because like the intestinal track of getting work through an agency has become so long and clogged <laughs> that, that, that. <laughs> but it's somewhere oh, somewhere man. along the way the victory is in producing something not in producing something good and there's got to be a distinction so do you think that part of the issue kind of going back to something that you started off with very early right is that the, the job number one is to get the attention first and then you, and then once you have the attention you can communicate do you feel like everybody's spending their time on that first point of getting the attention, the attention, and then when it comes out, communicating that there's no, there's nothing there? Is that kind of it? And that that kind of you know leads us to these really big ads that extravaganzas, you know yeah. that that. But then at the end of the day, they they're like empty calories, sort of. Well, you know the three parts of communication, and this goes back to you know human being, whatever our forerunners were you know, coming down from trees and beginning to communicate. So about 200,000 years. There's three parts of communication. One is attention. So if you can think back to the time you had babies in the house or puppies, the puppy would yip and you'd go, hmm, I wonder why she's yipping. She's not hungry. Oh, she must have to pee. I'll take her out. So they got your attention. The yip, because you're attuned to the puppy, communicated something. And so attention or impact communication, which is bringing information from one point to another. And then the third part, which we've forgotten about completely because we'll call it direct, is persuasion, right? So mm-hmm. you don't want pee in your house, so you take the dog out. It, <laughs> same thing with a baby. Um, you know, if you were living in a gender normative house or, or 1950s leave it to beaver house and you wanted a cup of... Uh, a glass of beer at night when you're watching the ball game, you'd say, honey, get me a beer. So you got her attention with the honey. Get me a beer is what you communicated, what you want. And the persuasion is, if you do, I'll take out the garbage. Okay, that works. But so I say most ads are one third of an ad. They're, you know, and then forget about all the other stuff. Like, I don't really know what a reliable network is. You know, like Verizon spends, right. you know, um, like I said, I'm 65, so Verizon's been around since, let's say, since 1990, 1985, when they broke up Ma Bell. 
So that's that's almost 40 years. Figure they spent a billion and a half a year for 40 years. So they've spent, in my lifetime, $60 billion saying the most reliable network. And then every time I make a call on Verizon, it drops. Okay? <laughs> right? So I don't know what you, I don't know what your language is speaking anymore. Cause it's not my yeah. language. Yeah. Uh, and I, and, and you've spent $60 billion basically telling me not to trust you because you say you're reliable. And I don't know about you where you live. I know my, my wife's, uh, uncle lives in, um, above the Getty museum in, in Malibu. Yeah. Uh, Oh yeah, well, well. If you come here, we don't have cell service. Uh, wait a second. Got to be one of the most, probably the twenty most affluent zip codes in the country, and you don't have cell service. Yeah. Like, don't talk to me about reliable. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. So you know, I I, I think um, you know we, we have to get back, and and this is kind of going to your first question. You know, we have to get back to kind of what our job is. Our job is to not to win a we're agents that's why they call us agencies we're agents nobody's supposed to know who we are we're supposed <laughs> to make other people right like okay we knew swifty lazar we knew wasserman but we don't know a fucking lot of agents like i know julia roberts i know you know you know all the actresses and actors i'm supposed to i don't know their agents you know despite caa kind of being above above the line in a lot of things we're agents i'm supposed to make you famous you know, and collect my 15% for it. That's my job. I'm supposed, you know, like, I, I don't know anything about anything. I, you know, I, I, I would, so my references are old. I would know who Emerson Fittipaldi was. I don't know who tuned his cars. Right. Right. And, but the tuner was really important. He's the guy you give the million dollar bonus to if you're Emerson Fittipaldi. But, yeah. You know, uh, he, he's important. You're, you're the star. The brand is Emerson Fittipaldi. You and I are the mechanics. Right. So, but how does that, so then, you know, but couldn't you argue that, you know, these agencies are brands unto themselves and they they also have to grow and, and bring in business yeah i don't yeah. i don't i don't i don't know that i i i don't disagree with you about i th- I feel like the awards thing has gotten kind of out of, out of control so i don't disagree with you there but is there a case to say like you know the the, the agencies are are brands as well I, I completely agree it's just you know what you know dave die who writes a blog the english art director amazing guy uh writes he's he's the best archivist of advertising i've ever seen if you ever go to a site called uh, his blog called stufffromtheloft.com i think he okay. had his own agency for a while and he had done a piece on house ads ads that agencies are doing for agencies this is probably 40 years old these ads and his ad just said simply every one of our clients grew last year like that's what we're supposed to do yeah, you know, and I would guess, and maybe I'm stupid or or old, or both. The, going into a new business thing, or talking to a CMO and saying, "Look, my clients grow because of this, 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 and this." Yeah, I want to make you famous. That's great, but let's get you famous by growing. Then we can get you famous by juggling, or by you know 
shooting an ad with John Hamm and Brie, whatever her name is, uh, and a giant jar of mayonnaise and Pete Davidson. I mean, but let's let's grow <laughs> first. Let let's grow yeah. first, okay? Let let me. You know, you're, you're in the car business. You know where what what a point in the car business is a billion dollars or more. I don't. I've never heard that, but I I I believe uh, it. I would I would guess you know uh, I, I mean I would guess if the car I don't know how big the car business is I know they used to say about the cigarette business I was never in the cigarette business thank God but I think a point was a hundred million dollars so if you were at one point two percent share you were selling one hundred twenty million dollars worth of cigarettes and if you know Marlboro was at fourteen percent share they were selling you know a billion four cigarettes so your goal was to go from one point two to one point four. And you've sold two hundred million dollars more, or two twenty, whatever the math was. But sure. I mean, you know, Coke and Pepsi. Hey, man, you know, Coke's at thirty-one-three, Pepsi's at twenty-eight-two. That's what they're looking at. How do I get them down to thirty-one-two and me up to twenty-eight-four? I mean, that's what it's. I don't know. Yeah. It's not about Ben Stiller or whatever I, his name is. And, I remember uh, hearing. I remember hearing something similar to the the uh, you know the agency that you described, where you know their their whole look was like you know a white background with 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 black type that just said you know the name of the agency because they their whole premise was it's not about us, it's about you. Yeah. So yeah. I, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously the agencies are public publicly traded. The holding companies are publicly traded. They have to talk to the street. They have to talk yeah. to investors. They have to get themselves hot. You know, it's it, it's a little bit, I guess, the question, it, it's hard for me to find a metaphor for this. But, you know, maybe the Lakers are a good example. Maybe their the worth of the franchise has gone up as their wins have gone down, um, you know. But but I, I I would much rather have Showtime than um, <laughs> you know the 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 dumpster. I'm not a big basketball fan. I'm not a big anything fan. But you know, I'd much rather have the performance backing up my worth than something a little specious backing up my worth. And and That's it. yeah. You know, that's what I, I, I feel like all this award jockeying and, and stuff like that is 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 doing. So let's let's less focus on that, more focus on on the fundamental on the fundamentals and, and getting back to the, the basics. Would you yeah. say that's kind of what, what you think would help? You know, I, I think we have to think about as an industry what it is we do and who we're serving. And. You know, is it? I, I'm not supposed to say this. This get me upset with some clients, probably. But is it the people who are investing on us in us, or is it the brands we're working for? If it's the people investing for, in us, it's not necessarily helping the brands we're working for. If it's the brands we're working for, it should help both them and the investors. It might just take a little more time. And, you know, this is about building lifetime value of a brand, not just having doorbuster sales, Mm. you know, with with an ad. And, you know, 
otherwise, we'd all be doing Ginsu steak knives, you know, and in 1999, order two, you know, order now, that's one free. But wait, yeah. but wait, there's more. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, I think, like, this is about building value, building purpose, as uh, I joked with this, about this with David Baldwin, if you don't know who said something in advertising, just say Lee Klaus said it. You know, mm -hmm. the most uh, valuable real estate in the world is a piece of a consumer's mind. And it's really hard to, to think about a brand that really has a piece of, owns a piece of your brain right now. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's hard to put a calculus on that. It's hard to figure out the ROI you know, and 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 maybe in this kind of era where you know we're we're kind of falling on the sword of quantitativeness and calculus and blah blah blah, it it's it's hard to say. Yeah, we came up with that great line and people love it and it's registering, but sales haven't grown. You know, yeah, yeah they might not grow right away. They they, yeah. they might not they might not grow right away. But you know, we're not supposed to be doing this quarter to quarter um you know this is this is a build this is yeah. this is a build i mean i get a lot of calls you know because of the ads i run in this kind of pay-per-click era okay i ran an ad this morning i'm just gonna look so I ran an ad this morning. I put it up around 8.30. It's now 11 o'clock. Hold on a second. So I think, I, I, I'm just looking. <laughs> I'm looking at it too. Yeah. So, you know, I've got, what do I got? Um, you know, so it's been up for three hours. Um, so I have 2,000 impressions in three hours. That's not great. So... You know, but it doesn't make me want to fire the agency or run a different ad. Tomorrow, I'll run a different ad. I don't know. I don't know what's going to be a hit. Um, yeah. You know, so you keep trying stuff. And and just because this didn't get a lot of clicks so far um, doesn't mean people aren't seeing it. It just might mean whatever. They've got a yeah. status meeting, um, you know, or it, it's raining and they don't feel like clicking. Um or I picked the wrong color. I don't know. Yeah, it, it, It's not, I don't know. I tell everyone, you know, this business is about long leads. And, you know, especially as you get older. You know, I had, I don't know if you know the name Sally Hogshead. I think she was one of the original founders of Ground Zero. Hmm. Um, back in the day, she was at Fallon. She has her own thing now where she does like coaching and inspirational speaking but she and i are friends or were friends uh we don't talk anymore no, nothing bad happened we just fell out sure. of the circles but she said to me literally 20 years ago george there's three things you have in this business and i think this is true whether you're a brand or an individual or an agency or you're running a lemonade stand she said you have your reputation you have your network and you have your work and, you know, our job 
in a sense for us personally is to build on those three things. Like what, are, what am I doing today to make my network stronger? I'm doing this uh, yeah. to make my brand stronger um, or, or to make my work better. And that's what we're supposed to be doing and yeah. for brands and everything else. And, you know, that seems sorry to be so simplistic about it, but that seems pretty simple to me. Mm. And, you know, I say it to people and uh, like I said, uh, you know, a couple hours ago, I'm a shy person. <laughs> yeah. You know, I- I'm a shy person, but you know, especially as you get older and older and, and more and more people are winnowed out, you know, you realize, you know, everyone like, uh, I didn't know you, but now, you know, we, I knew of you cause I see you right. on LinkedIn and I yeah. like what you're doing. And I don't really know your, I don't even know how to pronounce your agency. Uh, no one's ever said it out loud in my presence. Cause that's, you know, I'm on the wrong coast and I'm, I'm not doing cars anymore, but, um, you know, but between it, it's kind of like if we were 1962 in Westchester, oh, he belongs to that country club and he drives this car. So yeah, he's one of my people. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of how we assess things, uh, right. rightly or wrongly. I mean, it's a series of, of biases and judgments and, and things like that. And so you have to be cultivating that stuff, whether you're a brand or not, but ultimately you have to back it up with what you make. Yeah. You know, you, you know, I still do believe, and I've seen it enough times uh, I've seen it fairly recently that nothing kills a bad product better than good advertising. I've seen it um, with a brand I won't mention. Um, yeah. And I participated in it. We did the good ads. The product wasn't ready. Yeah. Um, so so let me let me let me uh, let me tell you something that I just that I just noticed. And, and you're you're coming you're you're coming back up and, and being re being re-energized. But there was a moment there for a few minutes where I felt like you were sort of sad or you were sort of like, you you know, sort of uh, sad for for the old the old days when you felt like things were better. Is that accurate? You know, and I'm not try- I'm not trying to turn it into a therapy session, but it, but no, it no, caught no. my attention. I mean, but I, I think it's kind of, you know, I think it's, you know, how media people sometimes do. Uh, they're doing a big spiel presentation. They do pulse and sustain. Uh, yeah. You know, we're going to have, well, especially in the car business, you know, around end of August, beginning of September, you got a big pulse. The rest of the year, you got sustain. Presidents say you got a pulse. Um, you know, I think, you know, to repeat something my father used to say, you know, a lot of life is pushing water uphill. You know, you know, you don't really get far, um, but you got to do it. And, you know, it's there is a lot of like, um, you know, rallying your forces and kind of going, all right, well, this is what I do. I got to do this. I don't really want to do this. I got to do this. And I dread doing, if my wife were here, not this, this call, honey, but you know, a lot of times I have to talk to a client and I got to present and I'm presenting to this level of client and I'm a little nervous because I usually deal with really deep subject matters. And, you know, you get to the CEO of a trillion dollar investment bank and you're like, holy shit, man, this guy could eat me for lunch. He could could literally have me killed um and and i'm telling him he's got to be crazy 
that's my job is to say, if you don't want to be like everybody else, you have to be different. If you're saying that to an investment bank, it's crazy, right? Because they make their business being the same. Uh, They make the money being the same. And this guy could eat me alive, and I'll sit here for like 20 minutes in my chair. Uh, I don't want to make this call. (laughs) This is is so – I don't have any account people. I don't have planners. I don't have people telling me the work is great. It doesn't go through 19 rounds of revisions, so I know it, I know it must be good. It got through Steve. You know, it's just me. And, yeah. you know, it's it's like being 15 again and asking a pretty girl out. It's like, oh, man, she's going to laugh at my face. And then she's going to tell all the other girls. And I'm done. Um, you know, it's, you know, we've all been there, a boy or girl. That was yeah. non-gendered. But we've all been there where we're putting our asses out there. Yeah. And you do have to... You know, I, I played baseball for a while, and you're watching the pitcher from the bench, and you go, I will never hit this guy. I, he is just, he's sneaky, and he's fast, and, you know, the three guys ahead of me all struck out. How the hell am I going to hit him? But you take your bat, and you give it your best. And, you know, that's, but you do have to, you know, life is about rallying yourself. And, uh, you know, uh, I wrote a thing on my blog yesterday, I think it was yesterday or the day before, about the boxer Joe Lewis. And when I get depressed, I watch Joe Lewis fights on YouTube. You can find them. They're usually shortened. You know, they take out the stuff where they're just milling about, as they say, and they cut it down to the the clenches or the blows. But I probably watched 30 of these fights over the last 90 days. And I find solace in him because, first of all, he he finished his career 66-3. and three. I hope to finish my career, say, 40-20. and 20. Um, <laughs> But, you know, he fought, he defended his championship 25 times, which is more than anyone by far. And what I noticed in thinking about it, watching his next-to-last fight, his maybe his last win, against Jersey Joe Walcott. I think the whole time I watched the fight, it was a 12-rounder or something, he won in the 12th round, Joe Lewis never stepped backwards. Hmm. He never stepped... I mean, I'm not a fight fan, but, you know, if you if you break apart the pieces of a fight, you know, and you say, well, how do I... how do I draw a parallel to our lives? We have to deal with children, wives, and jobs, and rent, and everything we got to deal with. Paying taxes... You got to keep moving forward. You got to take your hits, and you know you'll see him get smashed in the face. Yeah, and do this, and you know the, the referee shakes your hands, and then you're back at it. And I don't think, I, uh, honest goodness, if you watch this uh, Jersey Joe Walcott fight number two, you won't see him move backwards. And you go, holy cow! I mean, that's. Uh, I take that as a lesson, and then. The brutal part of the lesson is, and, and it was probably the language was probably somewhat racist for the you know by today's standards. But when he saw an opening, when he saw if he was fighting you, he saw you dropped your hands. He was not kind. He went in and smashed your head, and then he smashed it again, and then he smashed it again, and then he hit you as you were falling down. The word they used was savage. Yeah. But when you have an opening, you go for it. I mean, we don't have to hit people, but you know. This is a battle. You know, if, if you're selling cards, it's a battle for market share. If you're 
trying to get ahead in an agency and there's another team that's doing, you know, a certain level of work, you're going to try to do better. You're not going to try to screw them or stab them in the back or steal their work. But you're going to try to outthink them. Um, that's life. But that, yeah. you know, that takes a lot of, um, there's probably a Yiddish phrase in there, but I don't know it. But it takes a lot of like, <laughs> you know, you know, as it, as my parents probably would have said, well, you gotta, you know, you gotta pick your, you gotta tighten your pants and, you know, go in there and battle. And it's like, yeah, you do. And it's hard yeah. sometimes. I'm 65. Yeah. I'd like to retire someday. Um, you know, and, you know, uh, my my wife will tell you the thing I say is I wish I married an heiress. You know, it would be so much easier, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think that's a we're I think this is a good a good place to to end our conversation because well, you can, are the I, champ. You are the champ. You are the champ. I like I like I, the metaphor. You got, we got to keep moving forward. If you're an heiress, dial one eight hundred heiress. Operators are standing by. Um, no, you know, I, I'm, I'm not saying that to be mean. You know, because a lot of people think if you admit you're competitive, you're mean. Yeah. But no, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know what life is like in your agency. I know what life is like when I left Ogilvy. Yeah. And everybody, some people have. Everybody's got a series of checks or X's, and depending on the day. But when you're sitting in the big conference room, and we need, you know, a campaign for such and such, and four teams are ahead of you, and you're the fifth team, or you're the first team, and four teams are after you, you want to win. I mean, eventually you have to play nice. When when somebody else's campaign gets sold, you have to make it better, and you have to do this and that and the other thing. But when you're generating work. I want to win. And if I'm competing with another agency for a piece of business, I want to win. If, you know, I, I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to stab anyone in the back. That's not what I do. And sometimes I'll sit there and I'll, I'll look at something and I'll go, shit, that's good. And I'll go, I got to be better than that. And I mean, that's, that's sometimes when I take a deep breath and go, oh my God, I'm not, I'm not sure I can do this today. I think that's normal. <laughs> I think that, yeah. you know, I, I used to be a runner and, you know, I, I ran maybe 10 New York City marathons. And at the time, wow. they changed the course. But at the time, around 23 miles, you would enter the park at 103rd Street and 5th Avenue. And there was a steep little hill. It wasn't a long hill, but it was steep for New York. It was steep. And you're at 23 miles. And all you can think about is 26, and you got to run up this hill. And damn, it's hard. And you know all the tricks on how to drop your hands and open your lungs and do this and that and the other thing, but damn, it's hard. And you kind of go, why am I doing this? I'm not getting paid. You know, I'm not going to win. Um, I've, I lost my personal best back in Queens. Um, why am I doing this? Well, you're doing it, though. And so yeah. you want to do the best you can do, you Absolutely. know, so, but that's, that's kind of pulse and sustain. Sometimes you get to lower than sustain. You get to what the fuck. Oh my gosh. Am I uh, right? Yeah. This has been, I could, I could uh, sit here and, and talk I to you like for that. hours. This is, this is, this has been great. 
I well, really let's appreciate do it again. you. Yeah, let's do it again because I'm sure we could go on. And you know what's crazy? I mean, this is, you know, as I'm thinking about this, this is this is going to be an episode where you, you have to, to to use your analogy. You have to roll with the punches here because there's so much good information and so many good nuggets in there. And and I thank you for uh, for sharing that uh, with I the audience. I have one more really observation though. All right, go for it. And you can sh- you can you know cut or whatever. But you know, for like twenty years now, you and I have been sitting in meetings, and people go, "Well, it's all about storytelling, right?" You've heard that, and then you start yeah. telling a story, and the first thing people do is come, "Hurry up, hurry, hurry up!" <laughs> you can't always hurry up. You that's right. You can't. Hurry up. I- I'm actually and- thinking. I'm thinking ahead, and that's what I'm going to say. If this, if you're, if you're someone who. Uh, loves TikTok videos. This episode is not for you because this yeah. you gotta you gotta stick with it and you gotta take it all in. I'm not a linear person. Yeah, I love. I it. mean, if I write a thirty, it's linear, but you know, it's it's we all have. I guess the word we use today is interstitial connections. It's like the visual thesaurus. If you ask me about Faulkner, I'm going to start talking about Melville. It's just the way it yeah. is, you know. Yeah. Or Flannery O'Connor. It's just that's how the mind works. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you said it earlier when you said, you know, you, that you make these weird connections, right. Yeah. And, and that's, can't really and that's probably, and that's your, that's probably your superpower. That's probably how you've been able to be successful. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have a frame, a weird frame of reference and I know stupid things. <laughs> I know stupid things. All right. We're going to, we're yeah. going to, we're going to start right, there. Buddy. And there you have it folks. Another episode of confessions of a creative director in the books. Thanks to my very special guest, George Tannenbaum. That was an episode. It was like a history lesson and a master class in advertising all rolled into one. So thank you, George, for being on the show. Hey, listen, folks, if you want to hear more episodes like that, subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends about it. Let's build up this audience so that we can uh, keep going and bringing up the next generation of kick-ass creative directors. And speaking of kick-ass creative directors, be sure and pick up my new book, What's the Big Idea? An Indispensable Guide to Becoming a Kick-Ass Creative Director. This little book will teach you everything that you need to know to become an incredible creative director. So, until next time, peace, love, and creativity. See ya.